Section 28 of the Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Elements of Geology by William Harmon Norton. Chapter 21 The Tertiary. The Cenozoic Era. The last stages of the Cretaceous are marked by a decadence of the reptiles. By the end of that period, the reptilian forms characteristic of the time had become extinct one after another, leaving to represent the class only the types of reptiles which continue to modern times. The day of the Ammonite and the Belemnite also now drew to a close, and only a few of these cephalopods were left to survive the period. It is therefore at the close of the Cretaceous that the line is drawn which marks the end of the Middle Age of geology, and the beginning of the Cenozoic era, the era of modern life, the age of mammals. In place of the giant reptiles, mammals now became masters of the land, appearing first in generalized types which, during the long ages of the era, gradually evolved to higher forms, more specialized and ever more closely resembling the mammals of the present. In the atmosphere the flying dragons of the Mesozoic give place to birds and bats. In the sea, whales, sharks, and talios fishes of modern types rule in the stead of huge swimming reptiles. The lower vertebrates, the invertebrates of land and sea, and the plants of field and forest take on a modern aspect, and differ little more than those of today than the plants and animals of different countries now differ from one another. From the beginning of the Cenozoic era until now, there is a steadily increasing number of species of animals and plants which have continued to exist to the present time. The Cenozoic era comprises two divisions, the Tertiary period and the Quaternary period. In the early days of geology, the formations of the entire geologic record, as far as it was then known, were divided into three groups, the primary, the secondary, now known as a Mesozoic, and the tertiary. When the third group was subdivided into two systems, the term tertiary was retained for the first system of the two, while the term quaternary was used to designate the second. Divisions of the tertiary. The formations of the tertiary are grouped in three divisions. The Pliocene, more recent, the Miocene, less recent, and Eocene, the dawn of the recent. Each of these epochs is long and complex. Their various subdivisions are distinguished each by its own peculiar organisms, and the changes of physical geology recorded in their strata. In the rapid view which we are compelled to take, we can note only a few of the most conspicuous events of the period. Physical Geology of the Tertiary in Eastern North America The tertiary rocks of Eastern North America are marine deposits and occupy the coastal lowlands of the Atlantic and Gulf states. In New England, the tertiary beds occur on the island of Martha's Vineyard, but not on the mainland. Hence the shoreline here stood somewhat farther out than now. From New Jersey southward, the earliest tertiary sands and clays, still unconsolidated, leave only a narrow strip of the edge of the Cretaceous between them, and the Triassic and crystalline rocks of the Piedmont Oldland. Hence the Atlantic shore here stood further in than now, and at the beginning of the period, the present coastal plain was continental delta. 
a broad belt of tertiary sea-laid limestones sandstones and shales surrounds the gulf of mexico and extends northward up the mississippi embayment to the mouth of the ohio river hence the gulf was then larger than at present and its waters reached in a broad bay far up the mississippi valley along the atlantic coast the mesozoic peneplain may be traced shoreward to where it disappears from view beneath an unconformable cover of early tertiary marine strata the beginning of the tertiary was therefore marked by a subsidence the wide erosion surface which at the close of the mesozoic lay near sea level where the appalachian mountains and their neighboring plateaus and uplands now stand was lowered gently along its seaward edge beneath the tertiary atlantic to receive a cover of its sediments as the period progressed slight oscillations occurred from time to time strips of coastal plain were added to the land and as early as the close of the miocene the shore lines of the atlantic and gulf states had reached well nigh their present place louisiana and florida were the last areas to emerge wholly from the sea florida being formed by a broad transverse upwarp of the continental delta at the opening of the miocene forming first an island which afterwards was joined to the mainland the pacific coast tertiary deposits with marine fossils occur along the western foothills of the sierra nevadas and are crumpled among the mountain masses of the coast ranges it is hence inferred that the great valley of california was then a border sea separated from the ocean by a chain of mountainous islands which were upridged into the coast ranges at a still later time tertiary marine strata are spread over the lower columbia valley and that of puget sound showing that the pacific came in broadly there the interior of the western united states the closing stages of the mesozoic were marked as we have seen by the upheaval of the rocky mountains and other western ranges the bases of the mountains are now skirted by widespread tertiary deposits which form the highest strata of the lofty plateaus from the level of whose summits the mountains rise like the recent alluvium of the great valley of california these deposits imply low-lying lands when they were laid and therefore at that time the mountains rose from near sea level but the height at which the tertiary strata now stand five thousand feet above the sea at denver and twice that height in the plateaus of southern utah proves that the plateaus of which the tertiary strata form a part have been uplifted during the cenozoic during their uplift warping formed extensive basins both east and west of the rockies and in these basins streams swept and lake laid waste gathered to depths of hundreds and thousands of feet as it is accumulating at present in the great valley of california and on the river plains of turkestan the tertiary river deposits of the high plains have already been described how widespread are these ancient river plains and beds of freshwater lakes may be seen in the map of figure 260 the badlands in several of the western states large areas of tertiary freshwater deposits have been dissected to a maze of hills whose steep sides are cut with innumerable ravines the deposits of these ancient river plains and lake beds are little cemented and because of the dryness of the climate are unprotected by vegetation hence they are easily carved by the wet weather rills of scanty and infrequent rains 
These waterless, rugged surfaces were named by the early French explorers the Badlands, because they were found so difficult to traverse. The strata of the Badlands contained vast numbers of the remains of the animals of tertiary times, and the large amount of barren surface exposed to view makes search for fossils easy and fruitful. These desolate tracts are therefore frequently visited by scientific collecting expeditions mountain making in the tertiary the tertiary period included epochs when the earth's crust was singularly unquiet from time to time on all the continents subterranean forces gathered head and the crust was bent and broken and upridged in lofty mountains the sierra nevada range was formed as we have seen by strata crumpling at the end of the jurassic but since that remote time, the upfolded mountains have been worn to plains and hilly uplands, the remnants of whose uplifted erosion surfaces may now be traced along the western mountain slopes. Beginning late in the tertiary, the region was again affected by mountain-making movements. A series of displacements along a profound fault on the eastern side tilted the enormous earth block of the Sierras to the west, lifting its eastern edge to form the lofty crest and giving to the range a steep eastern front and a gentle descent toward the Pacific. The coast ranges also have a complex history with many vicissitudes. The earliest foldings of their strata belong to the close of the Jurassic, but it was not until the end of the Miocene that the line of mountainous islands and the heavy sediments which had been deposited on their submerged flanks were crushed into a continuous mountain chain. The thick Pliocene beds upon their sides prove that they were depressed to near sea level during the latter tertiary. At the close of the Pliocene, the coast ranges rose along with the upheaval of the Sierra, and their gradual uplift has continued to the present time. The numerous north-south ranges of the Great Basin and the Mount St. Elias range of Alaska were also uptilted during the tertiary. During the tertiary period, many of the loftiest mountains of the earth, the Alps, the Apennines, the Pyrenees, the Atlas, the Caucasus, and the Himalayas, receive the uplift to which they owe most of their colossal bulk and height, as portions of the tertiary seabeds now found high upon their flanks attest. In the Himalayas, tertiary marine limestones occur 16,500 feet above sea level. Volcanic Activity in the Tertiary the vast deformations of the tertiary were accompanied on a corresponding scale by outpourings of lava, the outbursts of volcanoes, and the intrusion of molten masses within the crust. In the Sierra Nevadas, the Miocene river gravels of the valleys of the western slope, with their placer deposits of gold, were buried beneath streams of lava and beds of tuff. Volcanoes broke forth along the Rocky Mountains and on the plateaus of Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona. Mount Shasta and the immense volcanic piles of the Cascades date from this period. The mountain basin of the Yellowstone Park was filled to a depth of several thousand feet with tufts and lavas, the oldest dating as far back as the beginning of the tertiary. Crandall Volcano was reared in the Miocene, and the latest eruptions of the park are far more recent. The Columbia and Snake River Lavas Still more important is the Plateau of Lava, more than 200,000 square miles in area, extending from the Yellowstone Park to the Cascade Mountains, which has been built from Miocene times to the present. 
Over this plateau, which occupies large portions of Idaho, Washington, and Oregon, and extends into northern California and Nevada, the country rock is basaltic lava. For thousands of square miles, the surface is a lava plain, which meets the boundary mountains as a lake or sea meets a rugged and deeply indented coast. The floods of molten rock spread up the mountain valleys for a score of miles and more, the intervening spurs rising above the lava like long peninsulas, while here and there an isolated peak was left to tower above the inundation like an island off a submerged coast. The rivers which drain the plateau, the Snake, the Columbia, and their tributaries, have deeply trenched it, yet their canyons, which reach the depth of several thousand feet, have not been worn to the base of the lava, except near the margin and where they cut the summits of mountains drowned beneath the flood. Here and there the plateau has been deformed. It has been upbent into great folds and broken into immense blocks of bedded lava, forming mountain ranges, which run parallel with the Pacific coastline. On the edges of these tilted blocks, the thickness of the lava is seen to be fully 5,000 feet. The plateau has been built, like that of Iceland, of innumerable overlapping sheets of lava. On the canyon walls they weather back in horizontal terraces and long talus slopes. One may distinguish each successive flow by its dense central portion, often jointed with large vertical columns, and the upper portion with its mass of confused irregular columns and scoriaceous surface. The average thickness of the flows seems to be about 75 feet. The plateau was long in building. Between the layers are found in places old soil beds and forest grounds and the sediments of lakes. Hence the interval between the flows in any locality was sometimes long enough for clays to gather in the lakes which filled depressions in the surface. Again and again the surface of the black basalt was reddened by oxidation and decayed to soil and forests had time to grow upon it before the succeeding inundation sealed the sediments and soils away beneath a sheet of stone. Near the edges of the lava plain, rivers from the surrounding mountains spread sheets of sand and gravel on the surface of one flow after another. These impervious sands, interbedded with the lava, become the aquifers of artesian wells. In places, the lavas rest on extensive lake deposits, 1,000 feet deep, and Miocene in age as their fossils prove. It is to the middle tertiary, then, that the earliest flows and the largest bulk of the great inundation belong. So ancient are the latest floods in the Columbia Basin, that they have weathered to a residual yellow clay, from 30 to 60 feet in depth, and marvelously rich in the mineral substances on which plants feed. In the Snake River Valley, the latest lavas are much younger. Their surfaces are so fresh and undecayed that here the effusive eruptions may well have continued to within the period of human history. Low lava domes like those of Iceland mark where the last basalt outwelled and spread far and wide before it chilled. In places, small mounds of scoria show that the eruptions were accompanied to a slight degree by explosions of steam. So fluid was this superheated lava that recent flows have been traced for more than 50 miles. The rocks underlying the Columbia lavas, where exposed to view, are seen to be cut by numerous great dikes of dense basalt, which mark the fissures through which the molten rock rose to the surface. The tertiary included times of widespread and intense volcanic action 
in other continents as well as in north america in europe vesuvius and etna began their career as submarine volcanoes in connection with earth movements which finally lifted pliocene deposits in sicily to their present height four thousand feet above the sea volcanoes broke forth in central france and southern germany in hungary and the carpathians innumerable fissures open in the crust from the north of ireland and the western islands of scotland to the faroes iceland and even to arctic greenland and here great plateaus were built of flows of basalt similar to that of the columbia river in india at the opening of the tertiary there had been an outwelling of basalt flooding to a depth of thousands of feet two hundred thousand square miles of the northwestern part of the peninsula and similar inundations of lava occurred where are now the tablelands of Bassinia. from the middle tertiary on asia minor arabia and persia were the scenes of volcanic action in palestine the rise of the uplands of judea at the close of the eocene and the downfalting of the jordan valley were followed by volcanic outbursts in comparison with the middle tertiary the present is a time of volcanic inactivity and repose erosion of tertiary mountains and plateaus the mountains and plateaus built at various times during the tertiary and at its commencement have been profoundly carved by erosive agents the sierra nevada mountains have been dissected on the western slope by such canyons as those of king's river and the yosemite six miles of strata have been denuded from parts of the wasatch mountains since their rise at the beginning of the era from the colorado plateaus whose uplift dates from the same time there have been stripped off ten thousand feet of strata over thousands of square miles and the colossal canyon of the colorado has been cut after this great denudation had been mostly accomplished on the eastern side of the continent as we have seen a broad peneplain had been developed by the close of the cretaceous the remnants of this old erosion surface are now found up warped to various heights in different portions of its area in southern new england it now stands fifteen hundred feet above the sea in western massachusetts declining thence southward and eastward to sea level at the coast in southwest virginia it has been lifted to four thousand feet above the sea manifestly this upwarp occurred since the peneplain was formed it is later than the mesozoic and the vast dissection which the peneplain has suffered since its uplift must belong to the successive cycles of cenozoic time revived by the uplift the streams of the area trenched it as deeply as its elevation permitted and reaching grade opened up wide valleys and new peneplains in the softer rocks the connecticut valley is tertiary in age and in the weak triassic sandstones has been widened in places to fifteen miles dating from the same time are the valleys of the hudson the susquehanna the delaware the potomac and the shenandoah in pennsylvania and the states lying to the south the mesozoic peneplain lies along the summits of the mountain ridges on the surface of this ancient plain tertiary erosion etched out the beautifully irregular pattern of the allegheny mountain ridges and their intervening valleys the weaker strata of the long regular folds were eroded into longitudinal valleys while the hard paleozoic sandstones such as the medina and the pocono were left in relief as bold mountain walls whose even crests rise to the common level of the ancient plain 
from virginia far into alabama the great appalachian valley was open to a width in places of fifty miles and more along a belt of intensely folded and faulted strata where once was the heart of the appalachian mountains in figure seventy the summit of the cumberland plateau marks the level of the mesozoic peneplain while the lower erosion levels are tertiary and quaternary in age life of the tertiary period vegetation and climate the highest plants in structure the digotils such as our deciduous forest trees and the monocotils represented by the palms were introduced during the cretaceous the vegetable kingdom reached its culmination before the animal kingdom and if the dividing line between the mesozoic and the cenozoic were drawn according to the progress of plant life the cretaceous instead of the tertiary would be made the opening period of the modern era the plants of the tertiary belonged for the most part to genera now living but their distribution was very different from that of the flora of today in the earlier tertiary palms flourished over northern europe and in the northwestern united states grew the magnolia and laurel along with the walnut oak and elm even in northern greenland and in spitzenberg there were lakes covered with water lilies and surrounded by forests of maples poplars limes the cypress of our southern states and noble sequoias similar to the big trees and redwoods of california a warm climate like that of the mesozoic therefore prevailed over north america and europe extending far toward the pole in the later tertiary the climate gradually became cooler palms disappeared from europe and everywhere the aspect of forests and open lands became more like that of today grasses became abundant furnishing a new food for herbivorous animals animal life of the tertiary little needs to be said of the tertiary invertebrates so nearly were they like the invertebrates of the present even in the eocene about five percent of marine shells were of species still living and in the pliocene the portion had risen to more than one half fishes were of modern types talios were now abundant the ocean teemed with sharks some of them being voracious monsters seventy-five feet and even more in length with a gape of jaw of six feet as estimated by the size of their enormous sharp-edged teeth snakes are found for the first time in the early tertiary these limbless reptiles evolved by degeneration from lizard-like ancestors appeared in non-poisonous types scarcely to be distinguished from those of the present day mammals of the early tertiary the fossils of continental deposits of the earliest eocene show that a marked advance had been made in the evolution of the mammalia the higher mammals had appeared and henceforth the lower mammals the monotremes and the marsupials are reduced to a subordinate place these first true mammals are archaic and generalized in structure their feet were of the primitive type with five toes of about equal length they were also plantigrades that is they touched the ground with the sole of the entire foot from toe to heel no foot had yet become adapted to swift running by a decrease in the number of digits and by lifting the heel and sole so that only the toes touched the ground a tread called digitigrade nor was there yet any foot like that of the cats with sharp retractile claws adapted to seizing and tearing the prey the forearm and lower leg each had still two separate bones 
ulna and radius, fibula and tibia, neither pair having been replaced by a single strong bone, as in the leg of the horse. The teeth were also primitive in type and of full number. The complex heavy grinders of the horse and elephant, the sharp cutting teeth of the carnivores, and the cropping teeth of the grass-eaters were all still to come. Phenacodus is a characteristic genus of the early Eocene, whose species varied in size from that of a bulldog to that of an animal a little larger than a sheep. Its feet were primitive, and their five toes bore nails intermediate in form between a claw and a hoof. The archaic type of teeth indicates that the animal was omnivorous in diet. A cast of the brain cavity shows that, like its associates of the time, its brain was extremely small and nearly smooth, having little more than traces of convolutions. The long ages of the Eocene and the following epochs of the tertiary were times of comparatively rapid evolution among the mammalia. The earliest forms evolved along diverging lines towards the various specialized types of hoofed mammals, rodents, carnivores, proboscideans, the primates, and the other mammalian orders as we know them now. We must describe the tertiary mammals very briefly, tracing the lines of descent of only a few of the more familiar mammals of the present. The Horse The pedigree of the horse runs back to the early Eocene, through many genera and species to a five-toed footnote, or more accurately, with four perfect toes and a rudimentary fifth corresponding to the thumb, and footnote a short-legged ancestor little bigger than a cat. Its descendants gradually increased in stature and became better and better adapted to swift running to escape their foes. The leg became longer, and only the tip of the toes struck the ground. The middle toe, digit number three, originally the longest of the five, steadily enlarged, while the remaining digits dwindled and disappeared. The inner digit, corresponding to the great toe and thumb, was the first to go. Next number five, the little finger, was also dropped. By the end of the Eocene, a three-toed genus of the horse family had appeared, as large as a sheep. The hoof of digit number three now supported most of the weight, but the slender hoofs of digits two and four were still serviceable. In the Miocene, the stature of the ancestors of the horse increased to that of a pony. The feet were still three-toed, but the side hoofs were now mere dewclaws and scarcely touched the ground. The evolution of the family was completed in the Pliocene. The middle toe was enlarged still more, the side toes were dropped, and the palm and foot bones which supported them were reduced to splints. While these changes were in progress, the radius and ulna of the forelimb became consolidated to a single bone, and in the hind limb, the fibula dwindled to a splint, while the tibia was correspondingly enlarged. The molars also gradually lengthened, and became more and more complex on their grinding surface. The neck became longer, the brain steadily increased in size, and its convolutions became more abundant. The evolution of the horse has made for greater fleetness and intelligence. The rhinoceros in taper these animals, which are grouped with the horse, among the odd-toed, perisodactyl mammals, are now verging towards extinction. In the rhinoceros, evolution seems to have taken the opposite course from that of the horse. As the animal increased in size, it became more clumsy. Its limbs became shorter and more massive, 
and perhaps, because of its great weight, the number of digits were not reduced below the number three. Like other large herbivores, the rhinoceros, too slow to escape its enemies by flight, learned to withstand them. It developed as its means of defense a nasal horn. Peculiar offshoots of the line appeared at various times in the tertiary. A rhinoceros, semi-aquatic in habits, with curved tusks, resembling in aspect the hippopotamus, lived along the watercourses of the plains east of the Rockies, and its bones are now found by the thousands in the Miocene of Kansas. Another developed along a line parallel to that of the horse, and herds of these light-limbed and swift-footed running rhinoceroses ranged the plains from the Dakotas southwards. The tapers are an ancient family, which has changed but little, since it separated from the other parasodactyl stocks in the early tertiary. At present, tapers are found only in South America and Southern Asia. A remarkable distribution, which we could not explain, were it not that the geological record shows that during tertiary times, tapers ranged throughout the Northern Hemisphere, making their way to South America late in that period. During the Pleistocene, they became extinct over all the intervening lands between the widely separated regions where now they live. The geographic distribution of animals, as well as their relationships and origins, can be understood only through a study of their geological history. The Proboscideans This unique order of hoofed mammals, of which the elephant is the sole survivor, began, so far as known, in the Eocene in Egypt, with a pig-like ancestor the size of a small horse, with cheek teeth like the mastodons, but wanting both trunk and tusks. The proboscidean came next, with four short tusks, and in the Miocene there followed a mastodon, armed with two pairs of long, straight tusks, on which rested a flexible proboscis. The dinotheri was a curious offshoot of the line, which developed in the Miocene in Europe. In this immense proboscidean, whose skull was three feet long, the upper pair of tusks had disappeared, and those of the lower jaw were bent down with a backward curve in walrus fashion. In the true elephants, which do not appear until near the close of the tertiary, the lower jaw loses its tusks and the grinding teeth become exceedingly complex in structure. The grinding teeth of the mastodon had long roots and low crowns crossed by four or five peaked enamel ridges. In the teeth of the true elephants, the crown has become deep, and the ridges of enamel have changed to numerous upright, plate-like folds, their interspaces filled with cement. The two genera, mastodon and elephant, are connected by species whose teeth are intermediate in pattern. The proboscideans culminated in the Pliocene, when some of the giant elephants reached a height of 14 feet. The artiodactyls, comprise the hoof mammalia which have an even number of toes, such as cattle, sheep, and swine. Like the parasodactyls, they are descended from the primitive, five-toed plantigrade mammals of the lowest Eocene. In their evolution, digit number one was first dropped, and the middle pair became larger and more massive, while the side digits, number two and five, became shorter, weaker, and less serviceable. The four-toed artiodactyls culminated in the tertiary, at present they are represented only by the hippopotamus and the hog. Along the main line of the evolution of the artiodactyls, the side toes, digits two and five, disappeared, leaving as proof that they once existed the corresponding bones of palm and sole as splints. 
the two-toed artiodactyls such as the camels deer cattle and sheep are now the leading types of the herbivores swine and peccaries are two branches of a common stock the first developing in the old world and the second in the new in the Miocene, a noticeable offshoot of the line was a gigantic pig-like brute, a root-eater with a skull a yard in length, whose remains are now found in Colorado and South Dakota. Camels and Llamas The line of camels and llamas developed in North America were the successive changes from an early Eocene ancestor, no larger than a rabbit, are traced step by step to the present forms, as clearly as the evolution of the horse. In the late Miocene, some of the ancestral forms migrated to the Old World, by way of a land connection where the Bering Strait now is, and there gave rise to the camels and dromedaries. Others migrated into South America, which had been now connected with our own continent, and these developed into the llamas and guanacos, while those of the race which remained in North America became extinct during the Pleistocene. Some peculiar branches of the camel stem appeared in North America. In the Pliocene arose a llama with the long neck and limbs of a giraffe, whose food was cropped from the leaves and branches of trees. Far more generalized in structure was the oreodon, an animal related to the camels, but with distinct affinities also with other lines, such as those of the hog and deer. These curious creatures were much like the peccary in appearance, except for their long tails. In the middle Eocene, they roamed in vast herds from Oregon to Kansas and Nebraska. The ruminants. This division of the artiodactyls includes antelopes, deer, oxen, bison, sheep, and goats, all of which belong to a common stock which took its rise in Europe in the upper Eocene from ancestral forms akin to those of the camels. In the Miocene, the evolution of the two-toed artiodactyl foot was well-nigh completed. Bone-like growths appeared on the head, and the two groups of the ruminants became specialized. The deer with bony antlers shed and renewed each year, and the ruminants with hollow horns, whose two bony knobs upon the skull are covered with permanent, pointed, horny sheaths. The ruminants evolved in the Old World, and it was not until the later Miocene that the ancestors of the antelope and some deer found their way to North America. Mountain sheep and goats, the bison and most of the deer, did not arrive until after the close of the tertiary, and sheep and oxen were introduced by man. The hoofed mammals of the tertiary included many offshoots from the main line which we have traced. Among them were a number of genera of clumsy, ponderous brutes, some almost elephantine in their bulk. The carnivores. The ancestral lines of the families of the flesh-eaters, such as the cats, lions, tigers, etc., the bears, the hyenas, and the dogs, including wolves and foxes, converge in the creodonts of the early Eocene, an order so generalized that it had affinities not only with the carnivores, but also with the insect-eaters, the marsupials, and the hoofed mammals as well. From these primitive flesh-eaters, with small and simple brains, numerous small teeth, and plantigrade tread, the different families of the carnivores of the present have slowly evolved. Dogs and Bears the dog family diverged from the creodonts late in the Eocene, and divided into two branches, one of which evolved the wolves, and the other the foxes. 
an offshoot gave rise to the family of the bears and so closely do these two families now wide apart approach as we trace them back in tertiary times that the amphicyon a genus dog-like in its teeth and bear-like in other structures is referred by some to the dog and by others to the bear family the well-known plantigrade tread of bears is a primitive characteristic which has survived from their creodont ancestry cats the family of the cats the most highly specialized of all the carnivores divided in the tertiary into two main branches one the saber-toothed tigers which takes its name from their long saber-like sharp-edged upper canine teeth evolved a succession of genera and species among them some of the most destructive beasts of prey which ever scourged the earth they were masters of the entire northern hemisphere during the middle tertiary but in europe during the pliocene they declined from unknown causes and gave place to the other branches of cats which include the lions tigers and leopards in the americas the saber-toothed tigers long survived the epoch marine mammals the carnivorous mammals of the sea whales seals walruses etc seem to have been derived from some of the creodonts of the early tertiary by adaptation to aquatic life whales evolved from some land ancestry at a very early date in the tertiary in the marine deposits of the eocene are found the bones of the zeuglodont a whale-like structure seventy feet in length primates this order which includes lemurs monkeys apes and man seems to have sprung from a creodont or insectivorous ancestry in the lower eocene lemur-like types with small smooth brains were abundant in the united states in the early tertiary but no primates have been found here in the middle tertiary and later strata in europe true monkeys were introduced in the miocene and were abundant until the close of the tertiary when they were driven from the continent by the increasing cold advance of the mammalia during the tertiary during the several millions of years comprised in tertiary time the mammals evolved from the lowly simple types which tenanted the earth at the beginning of the period into the many kinds of highly specialized mammals of the pleistocene and the present each with the various structures of the body adapted to its own peculiar mode of life the swift feet of the horse the horns of cattle and the antlers of the deer the lion's claws and teeth the long incisors of the beaver the proboscis of the elephant were all developed in tertiary times in especial the brain of the tertiary mammals constantly grew larger relatively to the size of the body and the higher portion of the brain the cerebral lobes increased in size in comparison with the cerebellum some of the hoofed mammals now have a brain eight or ten times the size of that of their early tertiary predecessors of equal bulk nor can we doubt that along with the increasing size of the brain went a corresponding increase in the keenness of the senses in activity and vigor and in intelligence end of section twenty eight